A quick note before we begin today's episode. Some of you may have noticed that this episode took an extra week to get out. The reasons why will be pretty quickly obvious, but also this episode took me like a month to produce, and that's just a thing that's going to happen from here on out. Yeah, I still have some quick games, but some of these games are getting bigger and bigger, and we're just about to hit the Battle Network games soon. If you know the Battle Network games, you know those are going to take a little while longer to play through and probably create some long episodes. So, while I have been upkeeping a schedule of every two weeks, and I will try to keep that up where possible. I'll do my best to keep to a three-week maximum as the games get bigger and bigger and the episodes get bigger and bigger. It's more and more work. Anyway, thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by 2002. Not like the year 2002, the error code. I'm sitting in queue to play Final Fantasy XIV and Walker as I record this, and uh, yeah, let's just say that the length of these queues is the only reason I am getting anything done that is not that specific game right now. There's no joke or punchline here. Though it is an interesting coincidence that that game is about trying to stop the end of the world, because so too is 2000's Mega Man X5 on today's episode of What Am I Podcasting For? Hello, and welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name's Garlisle, and this show is the show where I am attempting to play through every Mega Man game, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the hundred-plus games in between as I can. Today, we're finally returning to one of the main series. No spin-offs, no weird side games, no experimentalization. Well, okay, actually, that's a lie. We're going to have a lot of experiments going on in Mega Man X5. This game is trying a lot of things to shake up the formula around Mega Man without necessarily having to mess with the gameplay, which does make some sense. This series has been going on for over 10 years. Well, X specifically has not been going on for 10 years, but despite Mega Man X4 having released just a little while ago and generally being received really well, they needed to keep up that momentum. That presumably meant not just doing the same thing over again. And the things that we have to talk about actually begin on the options screen when you start the game. For one, this game has multiple difficulty levels. Easy difficulty reduces the damage you take, and limits bosses down to level 1, which is, um, we're going to talk about the leveling system in a moment. Conversely, Extreme doesn't just increase the damage you take, but also adds additional enemies to stages. This game in normal difficulty already has some brutal enemy placement, so oof. But it is nice to see them do difficulty that is not just a damage-taken change, but actually trying to include some, like, broader scope mechanics. There is an option to adjust the game speed. If you're finding it hard to control and hard to adapt to enemy attacks that are incoming to you and stuff, there is the option to slow down the pace of the game. But probably the most interesting change is that this game has a tutorial option, and this takes you directly into a dedicated stage where you are directly instructed on your controls by the new navigator character, Alia, who calls in with text messages every so often. Now, to be fair, it is probably a good thing they did this tutorial, because there is a couple new things that are in this game gameplay-wise, like the ability to grab onto and slide along rails that are in the background, and the ability to actually crouch, which sounds like it should be something that you might have expected was in the game prior to this, but no, this is the first Mega Man game where you can actually crouch. There are boss designs later in this game, or even in the first stage when we get there, where crouching is how you avoid the attack. Other methods will not work. But it is an interesting change when you consider one of the things that I've been mentioning about the Mega Man X opening stages was that typically they did their best to teach you the game just naturally with you stumbling into it, and in Mega Man X5 they went, hey, we have to teach the player this directly. That might not be a good sign. But let's talk about some other stuff. First off, presentationally, this game's story is not told through anime cutscenes and voice acting. In fact, other than X and Zero reusing some voice clips, this game doesn't have voice acting at all. Everything in the story is told through still images and text. Beyond just the story and presentation, though, there's a lot of gameplay differences. 
instead of the load screens, the stages in this game do have a ton of checkpoints, and if you game over and hit continue, you just continue off the checkpoint you were at. So while this game does have some spikes of difficulty here and there, it's not uncommon to just be able to like tank your way to the next checkpoint and just brute force your way through stages. Of course, the game does attempt to discourage that, and it discourages it with a ranking system. This is the first Mega Man game to do this, based on the amount of time it takes you to clear a stage, how many enemies are destroyed during the stage, and how much damage you took especially, you have a rank that might go up or down after every stage. Now, aside from just a pride aspect, which if your rank starts going down, you might feel a little bit bad about it, but it's actually very difficult to make it go down. Trust me, I was bad at this game at first. Aside from the pride, if you actually do boost your rank, it causes the boss levels to increase. In this game, every boss you run into comes with a level, which increases the amount of max HP the boss has. As you defeat more of the bosses, and as you deal with the time system in this game, which we'll come back to when we explain that, bosses in this game will level up. Now, because it's just health, it doesn't really make that much of an impact in terms of the actual boss fights. It's pretty minor. Where it does make a difference is that once you cross a certain level threshold for bosses, you can start getting parts from them. And this is character customization that both X and Zero can take advantage of. Now, it's a little bit dumb because the game does not tell you... Okay, I gotta back up. After bosses in this game, in addition to getting your weapons, you'll be offered a choice between increasing your maximum life or increasing your maximum weapon energy, which is cool, by the way, and yes, heart tanks still are in the game. Once you've crossed an additional level threshold for bosses, this becomes a little like plus marker as well, and what happens is that two stages after selecting those things, Based on what boss it is and whether you picked life or energy, you will receive one of 16 different parts that you then have for the rest of the game. Even if you manipulate it so that you get parts from every boss, you can only get 8 parts per game. And I will say that, despite the fact that the game does its best to conceal how exactly you are getting these parts, I really like the part system in theory. Being able to actually choose, if you look at what the list of rewards are, I want this part that makes me jump higher, or I want this part that makes me run faster. I want this part that boosts the X-Buster's damage, or maybe I want the part that boosts the Z-Saber's damage, or I want the part that cuts my weapon energy use by half, or my favorite part, the Ultimate Buster for X. It makes it so you no longer charge your buster, and you cannot, and you have a cooldown on your shots, but all of your shots come out charged. And if you are playing as one of X's armors that has the ability to charge his special weapons, you can instantly and freely use the charged versions of these weapons. Which, I'm gonna cycle back to that, but first off, actually makes the weapon set in this game feel amazing. But second off, I did just mention selecting one of X's armors. Again, you do have the option to pick between X and Zero, but actually, there's like four different versions of X you can get in this game. And, unlike X4, you actually do have the choice every single stage which character you want to bring in and which specific version of the character you want to bring in. In particular, assuming you play X for the first stage, you will actually have access to what's called the fourth armor, which is X's completed armor set from X4 as an option, which means air dashing and hovering and reduced weapon usage and half damage and stuff. You can have that right at the start of the game, and, like, it actually feels really good. And there is three other special armors you can acquire as X throughout the stages. Which, heck it, I'll deal with it right now, because describing the individual parts doesn't work. These armors are only unlocked essentially as playable characters once you have collected all four parts for that armor set, as opposed to, like, being added to you individually, which I can't say I'm a fan of, but... The Falcon Armor's most defining feature is the fact that instead of an air dash or a hover, it straight up has the ability to fly. Press the jump button again in the air, and you just enter a flying mode where you are invincible to most enemies and obstacles and shots, and you can just fly around freely for like 7 or 8 seconds. But this is the one armor set for X that does not allow him to charge his special weapons, and that matters a little bit. You can use that to get the parts for the Gaia Armor, which halves the damage you take heavily, and gives you the charged weapons, and also trades some of its mobility, in fact losing some speed on dashing and stuff, for the fact it can just walk on spikes. It can just walk around like a giant tank and not care. And as a bonus towards the end of the game, 
or if you put in a code at the start of the game, you can also unlock the ultimate armor for X, as in straight up the X4 ultimate armor, or you can unlock Black Zero, who, surprise, actually does things this time. It actually gives him, like, additional defense and attack and stuff. All of this variability sounds really great. The only problem with it is that many of the pickups that you do in terms of expanding life and maximum weapon energy and stuff only apply to the character who actually picks them up, which means that you are best off picking either X or Zero and playing the whole game through as them. And if you pick Zero, that might backfire. Anyway, that was a whole lot to talk about things that have changed about this game. Let's dig into the story and the stages, and let's kick this off. Our story starts with us overhearing a conversation between Sigma and a mystery maverick, who we'll discuss again shortly, basically talking about some plan to drop a space colony onto Earth. And then abruptly, we are shoved into our opening stage. Apparently, Sigma's virus has been detected at the site of a massive statue, and we have to go run our way over to it. Despite the fact we had a tutorial stage, in this stage, and every other stage afterwards, Alia is still helping us out, our new navigator. One thing I will say is that over the course of this game, we actually get to see a number of other members of the Maverick Hunters, because this game actually has a fairly diverse supporting cast. It has the Commander Cygnus, it has Alia, it has the Technician Double, it has medical robots, insofar as robots need medicine. This game is the first game that, for how much I just zoomed through the opening story bits because there isn't much of a story bit to it, this game does something that the games previously haven't managed to do, which is to make the Maverick Hunters feel like an organization instead of just like a background element. Anyway, the point is this. At the end of the prologue stage, we have to fight the statue itself as Sigma takes over it and just like becomes a giant flying Sigma head and it's very very simple. This is the first boss in the game where again you need to actually know that you can crouch in this game or some of his attacks are literally undodgeable. Now somehow this statue when we destroyed it had such a concentration of Sigma virus that it explodes and pollutes the entire planet instantaneously. Yeah, you're going to have to suspend your disbelief a little bit in this game. The plot goes a little bit crazy and is very poorly supported. Even as the Sigma virus is floating around the stages, and we're going to start running into it from time to time, it's just like an enemy type that floats around and chases you, and if enough of them come into contact with you, when you're playing as X, you'll start taking damage. Zero actually becomes invincible from it, which we'll get back to. But aside from the Sigma virus flooding the world, a space station is now on a crash course to Earth. And it's a big space station. In fact, as Alias and Cygnus warn us, it's probably going to cause the end of the world if it collides in the state that it is. And with the Sigma virus infecting almost every reploid all over the world, all of a sudden, and with the Sigma virus infecting the world, machinery is kind of on the fritz. If we want the tools to repair some old weaponry that can blast the space station out of the sky and reduce the damage it will do to Earth, well, we're going to have to go get parts for it. And this sets up the framework for the game. We have eight Mavericks we can tackle, but actually only four of them are initially highlighted as like, hey, these are the ones you should do right now, because they're the four that have the parts for plan A, essentially. There is a plan B as well, and that will come up in a bit, that is the other four Mavericks, but you can do them in any order you want. Most importantly, however, there's only 16 hours in the game's story before the space station hits Earth. And this is actually a mechanic. Every time that you choose a stage to head to, one hour of in-game time is considered to pass. As the time winds down, your bosses level up, but also, if you spend enough time like jumping around between stages to try to get extra power-ups and hunt down things you may have missed, you come closer and closer to having the space station reach Earth and basically ruin everything. And I'll discuss this right now, so I can just focus on the stages after this. It is absolutely possible to fail to stop the space station. Even once you get all four parts to complete the Enigma Cannon and fire it, at best, the Enigma Cannon, to my understanding, has a 1 in 4 chance of successfully destroying the space station. If, or more likely when, that fails, the backup plan, to essentially send a manually piloted explosive up to the space station, has at most a 75% chance to succeed. If you fail to destroy the space station, 
Whether that's just because of bad luck, or because you jumped stages too many times, whatever the reason is, then it will actually crash down to Earth, it will cause pretty close to the end of the world, and it will send you on basically the bad ending path of the game, where you lose the ability to play a zero. We'll discuss essentially why that is later when we get to the plot bits at the end of the game, but that does mean that if you made the decision, hey, I'm going to play this entire game through zero, picking zero in the first stage causes X's fourth armor to get damaged for some reason, so you can't do that at all. And then you'll get all these upgrades on zero, and his stats will be boosted while X's stay normal, and then there is a possibility... About a 16-18-ish percent chance overall that at the end of the game, no matter what you did, you still end up on the bad ending route and you lose access to zero. Uh, and yes, this happened to me. It does create an interesting structure, though. Whether we destroy the space station or whether it falls to Earth, afterwards is when the final stages actually appear. So you don't necessarily have to beat all eight of the Mavericks in order to actually go see the end of the game. In fact, this is one of the fastest Mega Man speedruns that's out there, because theoretically, you can start the game, complete the opening stage, try to fire the Enigma Cannon and the Plan B rocket, and just whether they randomly succeed at an extremely small odds or they fail, go straight to the final stage without defeating a single Maverick. Okay, that's enough about the structure of the game. Let's start belting out these stages with Crescent Grizzly. Crescent Grizzly gives me a good opportunity to talk about the way that this game feels very much like X4, but mostly kind of improved in stage design. I say kind of because this game does like to put enemies in some rude locations and give them just enough health to be a bit of a pain in the neck, but conceptually speaking, Crescent Grizzly's stage is basically Slash Beast stage. You're on, in this case, a series of convoys that you're going to have to blow up as you pass by them, and this adds a level of more distinctive set pieces in the stage itself that Slash Beast stage was honestly kind of missing for me because it was kind of just a left-to-right run through a ton of enemies. This stage does have the armor part that is the easiest to pick up, and I'm going to mention it because it's worth noting Zero can actually pick up X's armor parts due to the fact that they're essentially one out of four unlocks to unlock X's armors when you get back to base. And this actually allows Zero to talk to Dr. Light for the first time in the series. This game really blurs the line on whether Dr. Light is, like, actually around as a force ghost or if he was just a recording. Because Dr. Light does actually ask for Zero's assistance in, like, helping X, and Zero asks, like, hey, I keep having these dreams of this wicked old man, do you know who that is? And Dr. Light tries to say, like, nope, nope, doesn't sound like anybody to me. I don't know, it's just kind of neat to have that interaction. Boss fights. I will say, this game keeps on the tradition that X4 set of having good boss fights. It sort of improves on the problem that X4 had, too, of having boss fights that were trivialized by their weaknesses, because the bosses will just continue on their pattern. On the flip side, most of them have really long animations that make using their weakness weapons not great, which is kind of a Mega Man 7 problem, but at least in this case, it doesn't like make most of them into a complete joke. Anyway, the actual boss fight itself. Grizzly is a big dude, but rather than the usual dashing around the arena and stuff, he tends to throw out large projectiles at you, or he will like jump into the scenery and either do diving attacks from the ceiling, or literally pop out of the rocks in the background of the stage to slash at you, which is kind of a cool visual effect and an interesting twist. But mostly he's big and slow and an obvious target. One thing I will note as well, X4's bosses were cool in that they tended to oftentimes have multiple phases based on HP. X5 did maintain that. So again, it's taking most of the design of X4 and trying to improve on it. Next up, 
Shining Fireflies stage, which is a medieval castle theme that mostly has a whole lot of like moving spike platform traps and a lot of really tight corridors that honestly I can't say I super love this level. It's a really slow level to go through just because of like having to dodge these traps when the Mega Man X games are fun because you can go so fast in them. So this is just kind of a middling stage at best to me. The boss himself is fairly fun. He likes to teleport around and kind of dive at you and faint away from your attacks and occasionally has like slow moving homing missiles or like big lasers you'll have to duck under. There is one attack he can do towards the end of the fight that is undodgeable unless you specifically interrupt him with his weakness which isn't my favorite thing. I would really rather have a way to like zero damage it without having to rely on a special weapon but again it's not bad. The boss fight is fun the stage is so-so. The stage is an improvement over the disaster that is the next two. Listen, I just said this game's stage design is overall good, and I will stand by that. Most of it, at worst, is okay. However, a Volt Kraken stage can eat my entire ass. It can put it on a bun and have it as a burger. The first thing that the stage does is you jump in on a speeder bike, and the stage goes ready, and then you're dead. Now, I already complained about the issues with the Jet Stingray stage, but the thing to note about the Jet Stingray stage was that it wasn't that hard to at least avoid instant death. There wasn't really much in the way of pits. Volt Kraken stage is technically slower, but if you screw this up, you instantly die. And the first pit literally happens while the word ready is still on screen. And this whole, like, ready at the start of the stage was in X4, and it's in every stage in X5, and in no other stage can you even interact with the game while that is on the screen. In this case, you literally have to jump while that, like, wind-up is on the screen, or you die. And even once you get past that initial trap, the remainder of the section requires you to play basically perfectly. Nothing in this section damages you, it kills you. If you don't figure out that you can mash the regular shot and special attack button to bust up certain walls, like, oh my god, this section's a disaster. I hate this so much. Oh, and by the way, if you don't perfect it, also picking up little extra energy bubbles, you're going to have to do it again if you want to actually unlock X's armors, and if you don't get that armor piece, you don't get the Icarus armor, which means you can never get the Gaia armor. Oh, and the stage doesn't really get any better. Yes, the speeder bike is only like a third of the stage, but then you have these slow, quote-unquote, puzzle sections where really you're just jumping back and forth between two switches hitting them repeatedly with your buster until they happen to open up and allow you through. It's a good thing the boss is fun. The boss uses a lot of projectiles that like travel along walls and stuff and he'll fly around and he'll electrify the floor sometimes and he'll like create cubes in the middle of the stage that sometimes you have to hide behind those cubes on the walls to avoid a spam of projectiles headed your way. It's a fun fight at the end of the stage, but to hell with this stage and to hell simultaneously with Duff McWhalen. Sorry, title whale. Before I rage out about this stage, I actually have to mention something that's really funny. So I played the Legacy Collection 2 release of this game, which used more traditional Reploid names. And it was the more traditional Reploid names that were in the PlayStation version of this game's instruction manual. However, whoever was localizing the actual video game made the decision to just include a ton of Guns N' Roses references in the boss names. So you don't get Shining Firefly, you get Izzy Glow. You don't get Spiral Pegasus later, you get The Skyver. So anyway, sorry to anybody who was expecting me to use the ridiculous, like, PlayStation version of the names. And to be fair, I kind of love them too, but I'm using what's kind of considered, quote-unquote, the proper names. Although all the English names are actually different from the Japanese names, even if they're properly localized. We don't call it Gravity Beat Boot, after all. Anyway, where was I? Title Whales' stage can also eat my ass. First off... The stage's music is lazy. It's literally just a remix of Bubble Crab from X2. There's an actually good and interesting original track on the complete works that was unused in the game. For some reason, they didn't use it. But this is a long, slow auto-scroller stage where you are dealing with this giant battleship that is attacking you from a couple of different points. It's just incredibly slow. Sometimes it cheap shots you. And if you're playing as just Vanilla X, this stage is an absolute goddamn nightmare to avoid taking a ton of damage on every single phase of it. It's more doable with weapons, and like, if you equip the fourth armor, you get the lingering blast on the charge shot that works super well at disabling this thing's weapons. Even if you're playing as fourth armor X or zero, and it's a much easier stage, it's still a really long and really boring stage. It's just not fun. 
And once again, it's a shame because the boss fight, I think, is actually some of the most fun in the series. Now, if you bring his weakness weapon, he is absolutely trivialized, and Zero especially just completely makes a joke out of this boss. If you fight Tidal Whale, quote-unquote, legitimately, Tidal Whale's whole gimmick is that he hangs at the side of the screen and creates ice platforms and challenges that you have to platform your way over while looking for opportunities to hit him, basically looking for clear shots through his platforms. It's a completely different experience from every other boss that's been in the series to date, barring like a handful of Wily Fortress bosses. To actually have a stage boss use that as an idea is really cool, and Duff McWhalen might be one of my favorite boss fights in the X series. Again, assuming you don't trivialize him with his weakness weapon, because every time you hit him with Crescent Grizzly's weapon, all of his ice blocks just instantly shatter. He's just a really fun boss. His stage is just garbage. Anyway, before we move on to the other half of the stages, I also want to mention Dynamo. After completing two stages and after completing six stages, the mysterious robot from the start of the game that was talking with Sigma will show up to slow us down. And that's literally what he says he's there to do. He doesn't actually want to kill us. He doesn't want to, like, end our plans. He is apparently just there to slow us down and have a good time. And for a dude who is working with Sigma... He genuinely seems like he just is enjoying his job and maybe isn't even actually a maverick? I don't know what the deal is with Dynamo, and I kind of hope that he's around in other games, but I suspect he isn't. He fights kind of like Colonel did. He's got a sword, he can use it to deflect your attacks, or he can like throw it around, or he could do like a jumping slash. So long as you play respectfully to him, kind of like Colonel, and like give him space and strike in between his attacks and then back off, he's really not that hard in either the first fight or the second fight, even though he gets a couple new attacks in the second fight, they're not that hard to learn. Anyway, that covers the bosses from the first half, now let's hit the second half with Spiral Pegasus. Spiral Pegasus is a stage that is about diffusing time bombs, and by diffusing them, I mean just shooting them, which doesn't seem safe. Whenever you come onto a screen that has a time bomb on it, it'll start ticking down very quickly, and you have like five seconds to reach it and destroy it, or else it will explode, and if it's still on screen at that point, you will take a ton of damage. One way or another, it will blow open the path to the next room, though. Some of the layouts that it appears in are honestly extremely hard to destroy it in time, especially your first time through. And it is kind of funny that you can just, like, walk just far enough away that it will still detonate but won't do damage to you. It's a weird stage, but I don't hate it because the time bomb gimmick at least gives it its own distinctive feel. Spiral Pegasus himself reminds me a lot of Storm Eagle in that he's very fond of diving and dashing around the arena and even has like a wind attack that he can throw at you and you fight him on top of a plane with pits on either side. The big thing about Spiral Pegasus is that rather than trying to blow you off the platform the majority of the time, he just tries to charge you off the platform. He's actually unique in that all of his attacks are different charge attacks and all of these charge attacks come with severe knockback. You can get launched like like half the stage away, so you really have to play like Bull Rusher constantly dodging and like jumping over his attacks. It's kind of a fun fight. Next up is Spike Rose Red. This is a jungle-themed stage that has a whole lot of climbing around on wires on the background as the main gimmick to traverse the stage. It's actually a halfway decent fleshed-out stage, though it's a little lacking in enemy variety. The one thing that does drag the stage down is that at a couple areas there are these little thorns that, unless you know already that they're there to look for them, they're like basically walls that jump out and strike you, and if you stop near them, they'll just pop out harmlessly. But it's so, so difficult to actually see them, and there's at least one point where, not knowing that they're there, they can hit you while you're riding on a wire, knock you off, and drop you in a pit. The stage would be fine if it wasn't for the cheap deaths. Oh, and Alia warning you, hey, watch out for the pit that's down below here, where you do actually have to jump in this pit, but you have to hold up as you jump down to grab onto a wire, otherwise you fall into an actual pit under that. 
God, I haven't even talked about this. Listen, I like Alia. I think there are a couple points in this game where her explanations of things do actually add to the level. But if you've never played X5, you might have heard about how frustrating Alia can be, because the game designers felt the need to have her contact you like five times per level to explain things that would feel really obvious if you have played any other Mega Man game or any other platformer. Instead of trusting the levels to instinctively communicate to you what's going on in the level, Alia has to tell you, hey, press up to grab onto the wires in the background here, even though there was an entire tutorial stage. <sighs> I don't mind Alia, she is a fine character, but it really felt like the designers just had very little confidence that their levels explained themselves and made sense. When they really do, most of them are just fine, minus that one blind jump that they tried to excuse away with Alia and didn't even do correctly, so I don't know. Alia is fine, but she's a symptom of a larger design confidence issue. Yeah, I'm in the camp of X5 would probably be improved if she contacted you like at the start of every level and that was it. Anyway, enough about her. Our boss, Spike Rose Red. The main tricks he has involve, like, throwing rose petals around, throwing, like, bushels of rose thorns that bounce around the room. He also has, like, a vine whip attack that can grab you that you need to be ready for. And the main gimmick is that he can create, like, a copy of himself that lasts for a little while and jumps around independently of him. You know, kind of the split mushroom Gemini Man style evolution. Overall, an alright boss. Speaking of things that feel very X4 in the way that Split Mushroom was just kind of brought back, we also have the Burn Dino Rex stage, which gives heavy shades of Magma Dragoon stage, in that the first half of the stage is largely about platforming around timed obstacles that will kill you instead of actually fighting enemies, but this time there is still some enemies around to keep it fresh. And yeah, they brought back, hey, the right armor can go through the magma. Except this time, the second half of the stage is actually a split path. If you don't take the right armor, you can go above the magma, and you get into this weird, like, pterodactyl robot chase scene, where, like, it's constantly destroying the platforms behind you, and you have to platform safely to the next ones. Or you can ride the right armor and drop literally entirely into the magma and make your way through that, where it's a little bit difficult to see, I don't know, it's interesting to see an X stage deliberately have multiple distinct paths like that. The boss himself is, if Crescent Grizzly was not quite the usual big charge-around-the-arena type guy, Burn Dino Rex really feels like just big dino that likes to try to body-tackle you, and yeah, he's got the occasional fire breath, or like, he'll shoot out projectile flames. Very straightforward, simple boss. Finally, we have Dark Necrobat stage. This is a stage set in an actually pretty nice-looking planetarium. In the first half of the stage, the background occasionally starts to animate. You and all the enemies around you will, like, slow down for the duration, and the constellations in the background will turn into, like, either enemies that fly at you or, like, spikes that drop down into the ground and then activate underneath them. The second half of the stage opts instead for, like, a gravity-switching segment, where every once in a while you hit a barrier and it flips gravity, it's not a bad stage, but especially with the falling spikes in the first half, it can kind of cheap shot you a little bit. The first half of the stage doesn't feel great, but I like what it's trying. Necrobat himself spends most of his time flying from like corner to corner of the arena, more or less pretending he's Shade Man, occasionally doing dive bomb attacks to catch and drain energy from you. He even has an attack that's like giant sound waves that you have to dodge. He very much feels like he's the Mega Man X version of Shade Man. The one cool attack he has is literally just to like open up his wings and just start spamming bat robots in your direction just to complete flood of them. It's kind of fun. Anyway, that's the eight Maverick stages. If, after completing all these stages or somewhere along the line, we managed to destroy the colony, then while we did prevent the worst of the impact of the disaster, the fact is, is it is still a large colony that its pieces are still falling to Earth and it causes significant damage. If we didn't destroy it, the resulting impact basically messes absolutely everything up worse than it already is. Humanity and Reploids all but barely evade extinction. Like, apparently this impact is just that massive. Even the Maverick Hunter HQ gets hacked up and X has to basically be pulled from the wreckage. Regardless of whether we're on quote-unquote the good ending or bad ending at this point, 
this wreckage of the space colony is irradiating basically intensely, like, not quite Sigma virus readings. In fact, it's a new variant that they end up naming the Zero Virus. If you're on the bad ending route, Zero is basically found within the wreckage, more or less going Super Saiyan, and X is like, oh, this is where this is going, okay. Now, why was the space colony full of evolved Sigma virus? Hell if I know. How can a space colony fall out of the sky and cause such massive destruction that it nearly ends the world, but a computer virus housed inside remains apparently able to influence the world? Hell if anybody knows. Hell if I think the writers knew, because I don't think the writers knew. Why didn't we know that before it fell to Earth? I don't know. Let's talk about the arsenal. So, I'm going to cover Zero first. Zero handles better in this game. Most of the moves that Zero can learn are the same as X4s. Okay, technically they'll be called something different, and they might have like a different elemental effect. Like, you don't get a flame uppercut strike this time, you get an electric uppercut strike this time. But, he does have a couple strictly replacements and changes. The useless power-up that used to cause him to cut down bullets, except never actually cut down bullets, is now just a part. He also has a couple special weapons that actually have a weapon energy gauge. One of them is a really cool ability that creates a mirror image of Zero a short distance in front of him that then repeats any action he does, which gives him extra range. It allows him to safely attack enemies or, like, through walls and stuff. It's a really cool ability. One of the weapons is the Dark Dream, which is a time stop ability, and it works the exact same on both Zero and X, in that it is the flash stopper from Mega Man 2. Once you activate it, you are locked into that weapon and it will drain its entire weapon energy gauge. So, the more weapon energy you had, the longer this effect lasts. Zero also gets the ability to have an air dash in this game, and it's actually invincible while he does it. It's a weapon is the reason why it gets to be so powerful, but it is basically infinite use, invincible air dash, so that's cool. I would say that Zero is a complete improvement over X4 if it was not for Spiral Pegasus' weapon, which in theory is cool. When Zero attacks while dashing, once you have this weapon, he stops, his afterimage keeps going though and strikes. The problem is, is that this thing comes with a huge delay where you just stop and stand there when you do this, and it feels like absolute garbage. And it's actually a big problem with speedruns too, because if you pick up this weapon, Zero can't Saber Dash cancel anymore. It might be one of my least favorite boss weapons in the entire series, because you can't turn this thing off, and once you have it, Zero just feels worse to play. And that's a big failure. <laughs> As for X's weapons, X's weaponry in this game leaves me in an awkward position to talk about, because some of these weapons are drastically better in their charged form, and for the first time, using the charged versions is very realistic, because if you go out of your way to get the Ultimate Buster, and you equip it with the 4th armor or the Ultimate armor, you can literally use the charged versions as though they were the regular weapons. Having said that, from worst to best, the Wing Spiral. This is basically an upward cyclone attack that also lifts Mega Man a little bit when he does that. The truth is, is that that lift is the most valuable part of this attack. The attack is only moderately damaging, and unlike the Rising Fire, which is basically a very similar weapon, if you're climbing up a wall and there's an enemy directly above you and you try to use the Wing Spiral, it is wide enough that it immediately hits the wall and just vanishes, effectively thwarting the most important use case for this weapon. The Charged Projectile, which is a forward projectile tornado that travels across the ground and keeps getting larger and larger, isn't bad, but it's not anything special. Similarly, there's the Spike Ball. At its base form, it's a short-range, large projectile that then boomerangs back to you after a couple seconds. In its charged form, it's just a bouncing projectile that uses the edges of the screen and travels through walls, but vanishes off-screen after like three or four bounces. Neither of these are particularly impressive, but at least the base form does some decent damage. The Goo Shaver has a pretty useless main weapon function, where it's just the usual, like, fast ground-tracking projectile that doesn't do much damage. Whatever. We've seen that. Charged up, 
it causes us to lob a ton of ice cubes in each direction that kind of come down in wide arcs on either side of us. Not good for hitting any enemy that's too close to us. Great for every enemy in almost every other position. Next up is the Tri-Thunder, which is your standard, like, it's basically the Thunder Beam from Mega Man 1, a forward attack, an upwards attack, and a downwards attack, and each of these turn into projectiles that track along the ground. It's actually not that bad of a weapon. It does, however, have kind of a garbage charged function, which causes it to just start firing random lightning strikes. Interspersed slowly, very thin, and they're just at random vertical points on the screen. They're not even, like, locked onto enemy locations or anything. This is honestly a really good base weapon, but if you're doing the ultimate shot, it basically might as well disappear from your inventory. Also good in its base form. The ground fire is a short-range lob shot that doesn't do much damage if it directly hits an enemy. But if it hits the ground, it will ignite in a flame that then spews off additional fire shots at random directions. That actually lingers around and can do a bunch of damage to enemies and is actually one of the more powerful basic weapons in the game, even if it requires you to do the awkward thing of deliberately messing with it. The charged version, on the other hand, is just a burst attack on your left and right that's pretty quick and decently powerful, but again, not much special. Next up is the Firefly Laser. The base weapon of this is really interesting. You stop moving completely, and your controls will instead affect the movement of this slow-moving missile. It does a decent amount of damage, but the fact that it leaves you wide open generally kind of sucks. The biggest problem this weapon has in both its base and its charge form is that this weapon has, like, no ammo. The basic version of this weapon starts at a limit of, like, 8 shots. The charged version, however, is actually very useful. It just creates a giant laser beam that hangs out in front of you as you run around for, like, 5 or 6 seconds, tears through things, just effortlessly clears out enemies. It's good. Once again, I do want to mention the Dark Dream slash the Dark Hold in X's case. This is a weapon that does not have a charged function because, again, it's just stop time. It's One thing to note, though, compared to the original Flash Stopper, even though it functions the same way in, like, draining out your entire gauge so you get one use of it, you can still use your basic X-Buster or Z-Saber during this thing, and it's really good because of that. But the actual best weapon in this game is maybe the Crescent Shot, or at least it was my favorite. The basic form is not that impressive, it just fires shots at like random angles whenever you use it. The charged version of this weapon, however, erects a barrier around you that causes damage to anything that gets close to you for several seconds. And I mean a lot of damage, it works really well. You can charge up the next use of it before it falls off and use that, and you can continue using your basic buster while it's out too. While it does have the whole issue of you have to get right in something's face with it, it's basically the strengths of something like the junk shield without many of the limitations that usually limit weapons like this, so it's excellent. My take on X's weapon set in this game is that it is maybe not the most super inspired, but when you combine the ultimate shot with the falcon armor, again, getting these charged up versions of weapons feels like some of the most impactful special weapons we've had since like X1 in the X series. Okay, anyway, we've taken stock of our weapons. The world's almost ended because of Falling Space Station. There's, like, zero virus, and I'm not sure what's going on, but let's go finish up the game with the zero virus stages. Zero virus stages are really interesting in that they are referential, and the first game in particular is sending us back to the first Mega Man games. Because Zero Virus Stage 1 is a goddamn quick man laser gauntlet. If you happen to remember at this point the Mega Man 2 episode, which was over a year ago, which is weird to think about, I talked about the fact that the quick man lasers section works because of the fact that in each screen, you hit the edge of the screen, and the game pauses as it scrolls that next chunk of the stage into view, and then it makes you do it. And that means you can see what's coming up and respond. That is not the case 
in zero virus stage one, and it makes this section absolutely garbage. The reason that there is a time stop ability in this game, and the reason that it is so important, why it is so valuable to actually have the weapon tank full, is so you can get through the second leg of this stage, which is a fall section where if you basically don't perfectly execute it, you're dead. Because especially in the X-Series, while you're falling, if you move towards a platform to try to slip under it, like curve under it as you fall, you might just catch on the edge of that platform and start sliding down the wall at the end of it, and now you're slowed down and the lasers just hit. Quick Man lasers do not work in this stage. At the very least, between the time stop and the generous checkpointing that remains if you have to continue, and the fact that your weapon energy on the time stop refills every time you die, you should have the tools to deal with that, but I feel like all those things shouldn't be necessary and this whole section shouldn't be here. Oh, speaking of garbage, the boss at the end of the stage is the Yellow Devil. Straight up, it has a remix of the boss theme from Mega Man 1 playing during this fight. It is everything that you hate about the Yellow Devil, except I swear to god it has even more HP. When its HP gets low, it picks up a couple new transformations, one of which is a reference to an old Wily machine and is kind of actually fun, but the other is just extended downtime that is vastly even harder to dodge the flying parts of him. I, I don't like fighting the Yellow Devil normally. Extended harder Yellow Devil, who is barely affected by weakness weapons, just miss me with that. The point is, is the game is really hammering down, kind of like in late X4 on Zero's side, connections between the classic and the new. Zero Virus Stage 2 is very specifically based on Mega Man X1. A large chunk of the initial part of the stage is climbing essentially up on a bunch of platforms that resembles the start of Sigma's Stage 1 in X1. Not too long after that, you will fight Rangda Bangda again which was a boss that was essentially like a pair of eyes and like a fiery gem thing that one of them would activate at a time and do different attacks and you'd have to avoid them. Now it's got a third eye in the mix that shows up from time to time and you have to destroy all four parts and honestly this one kind of can suck. Some of the attack patterns are extremely difficult to dodge, especially when the walls are pulled in close. This episode's been going long as is and I'm not going to bore you trying to technically explain why it's rough, just understand that this fight can limit your movement to an extremely small space, and then throw attack patterns at you that you need large amounts of spaces and movement to dodge. Next up, Zero Virus Stage 3. This isn't a reference this time. This is just a really tough platforming stage with a lot of spikes and pits and stuff. Not a whole lot of focus on enemies, but still some. If you come here as Zero, or as unarmored X, there is a spot where there's just a conspicuously easy to jump over pit with a platform that looks like it should move when you stand on it but doesn't. And if you just fall down that pit and slide down the wall, you can find the secret X capsule that is present in pretty much all of these games where you get to unlock either X's ultimate armor or Black Zero. The most interesting part about stage 3, however, is that there's three different bosses. If you come into the stage on the good end, as X, you will fight Zero. Basically, this whole conflict happens in this version of it, because X and the Maverick Hunters have started to notice, like, hey, not only is this the Zero virus, but also Zero seems to be getting stronger from contact with the virus, and they're really worried that he might go Maverick or something, and Zero's all like, oh, you're going to try to stop me from investigating this, huh? And, you know, X is just scared for Zero, and it's this game really laid on the X and Zero shippy vibes, let me tell you. Anyway, this is almost an identical fight to Mega Man X2 Zero. Zero either throws a trio attack of basically buster attacks at you, or if you're in close to him, He'll do like a ground slam attack that sends up projectiles at specific relative distances from him. In fact, this fight is so similar to the X2 fight with Zero that the first time I went into this fight blind as base X, no armor or anything, I didn't take a single point of damage, which was completely unexpected. If you're in this stage as X, but you're on the bad end, you run into Zero who has fully awakened at this point. They talk about a whole lot of stuff about, like, Zero reaching his full strength or something, but are really vague on any sort of details. This is basically the same fight, except the Trio Buster combo now comes with the first two shots having, like, a homing, lingering effect that actually makes it very difficult to dodge. 
The ground-based attack is the same, however, and I'll tell you this, for both Zero Good End and Awakened Zero, if you just stand next to him, he will trigger that ground slam attack. You can, like, back up a character length away from him to avoid the attack, and then just walk back towards him, and he'll just do this infinitely. So that's how you can cheese Awakened Zero, which is really good because he does a lot of damage. An interesting easter egg in this fight is that if you take too long to defeat Awakened Zero, which honestly, it takes a ridiculous amount of time, and I will be amazed if anybody survives for so long to discover this on their own, but if you take a really long time, he will actually just start spamming these gigantic slash waves that cover the entire screen and are one-hit kills. This is a Mega Man boss with an MMO enrage. I swear to god I don't have Final Fantasy XIV on my brain too much. Oh my god, I logged in. Okay, let's finish up the recording. The final boss that can show up in this stage is if you're playing as Hero, which obviously is only possible on the good end route. In which case, you get to fight X. And this fight is actually really cool. What happens basically is X will dash around the bottom of the screen, fire his buster once or twice, complete with charge up of course, and then he actually pulls out different weapons that he had in X4 specifically to fight you with. And that's just a neat concept for a fight. If you're gonna fight X, have him actually use the arsenal. That's exactly what they did. It was really good. Anyway, regardless of who we were playing as, X and Zero basically end up majorly damaging each other, and Sigma shows up to try to take advantage of their state to finish off X. Zero jumps in to save him. If we're on the bad end, Sigma does actually kill Zero at this point. Otherwise, we just move on to like, oh, hey, Sigma was here at the core of the space station. Go fight him off. Zero Virus Stage 4 is a pretty easy stage. Partway through, we do get the boss gauntlet, and it is not the standard boss gauntlet, because this time, throughout this point in the game, all the bosses have probably been like level 1 to like level 15, 16 by the end of the game. The bosses during the boss gauntlet are set to level 96, which means they have an absurd amount of HP. Now, of course, you've got a ton more HP than when you probably fought most of them. You have the parts, you have the weapons, but this marks the first time that we've had a boss gauntlet where the bosses are actually upgraded for their refights, even if it's just having a ton more HP. And then... In a weird area that looks like it has the capsules that once maybe contained X and Zero, but what the heck would they be doing here? I don't know why they bothered with that. We fight Sigma. Now, Sigma insists that Zero has some true self he's been trying to help awaken, and mentions that apparently he met somebody who's been helping him, somebody who also hates X. There's the implication that, like, maybe he ran into, like, a hologram version of Dr. Wily or something, but I don't know if this plot thread ever goes anywhere. We also find out that in Sigma's plan to awaken Zero to his true self, he saw to awakening the Sigma virus all over the world, but then realized that would not be enough, and infected the space colony and intended for it to crash to Earth. X is like, but wouldn't that have destroyed everything? And Sigma's like, well, yeah, but you Maverick Hunters have a way of just saving the world anyway, so I figured you'd stop it. Which is a hell of a f***ing gambit to take, Sigma. Anyway, my point is this, is this game does talk a whole lot around things without concretely explaining everything, and I ended this game very confused. Let's talk about the final boss. As usual, our first fight with Sigma is in a more humanoid form. He's got himself a shiny steel body. This one, most of his attacks are just dashing around the arena in various patterns or occasionally throwing out some electric projectiles. The most dangerous one he has is when he gets low on health, there's a chance that he'll teleport to one side of the arena and start shooting these giant shockwaves. They do a ton of damage, they're a little bit tricky to dodge, it's the worst that he has, but overall, compared to many of the past Sigmas, even though this one's pattern is random, the main difficulty of this fight is getting through with enough health for the giant Sigma head. And not the same giant Sigma head we fought the first one. This is like an entire giant Sigma robot in the background that we have to climb up to the top of the screen to hit its forehead. 
This one comes with, like, big robot hands that will attack you from the sides, or, like, sometimes he'll shoot out projectiles that'll, like, home in on you repeatedly. The worst of the attacks that this Sigma head has is one where he just creates damage fields centered around your location. You don't really have time to react to this starting up, and if you are not immediately moving very quickly around the room, it's extremely easy for this attack to hit you. The biggest thing with this fight is just that he's a ton of HP, and all of his attacks, even if you're in like the armors that have boosted defense, all of his stuff does a lot of damage. It doesn't feel as like chaotically difficult as previous Sigmas, though, it's just is an endurance test. Other than, like, X3's Sigma, who was kind of lame, this is probably the worst Sigma fight we've had, in that it's just not impressive. Anyway, we've defeated Sigma. If we're on the good ending routes, Zero got critically injured in the middle of the battle, and while X is trying to treat him, Sigma takes over, like, a nearby turret with the virus and aims at X and, like, blasts him through the chest. If you play as X in the final stage, X does in fact nearly die from this, but Dr. Light's ghost literally shows up to save him. Again, he's supposed to be long dead, and he's supposed to just be holograms in the armor capsules, but apparently now he's a straight-up force ghost. Dr. Light doesn't extend this courtesy to Zero, however, and we find out in Zero's version of this ending, as he's sitting there critically damaged and stuff, he starts thinking back on like how Wily designed him, he even remembers Iris and X4 and everything, and decides that like if he wants peace to be brought to Reploids, he has to go, and just allows himself to shut down completely, and that's how the game ends. X's ending, however, does pick up three years later, when he's fully repaired and stuff, and apparently he's still carrying on the good fight and fighting for peace, except now he has Zero's saber, and again, there's the incredibly shippy line of, we'll be together forever, Zero to end the game off. And if you thought those were downer endings, how about the bad ending, where X just straight up gets ruined fighting Sigma, again, very nearly dies, Dr. Lights go steps in to save him, but this time, we find out that X doesn't remember Zero. All the data related to Zero is gone, and apparently Dr. Light's ghost or whatever made the decision to adjust X so that he literally cannot remember Zero. His programming refuses to acknowledge the existence of anyone named Zero, which is very, very interesting because is that actually Dr. Light then? Because Dr. Light wanted X to have free will, so why is he all of a sudden messing with X's memory and literally reprogramming a block into his system? God, I could go on about all the stuff that doesn't make sense. What I will say, however, is that the Reploids that are now working with X ask X, like, hey, other than like protecting the world and stuff, what's, what's your dream? What do you personally want to do? And X responds that he wants to create Elysium, a place where Reploids and humans could live side by side. I don't know a whole lot about the story of Mega Man Legends 2, but I know Elysium is a thing, and theoretically, this is kind of like a, hey, this might be a reference to that to help tie those timelines together. But also, it kind of felt like it might have been a setup for certain things that will happen in the Mega Man Zero series, and this is where discussing these endings gets really weird, because I don't know which one is necessarily canon. It might be one or the other, or it might be both. Or maybe it's that the timeline diverges at this point, and one of these endings leads to X6 and the other to Mega Man Zero, because many of the original leads on the Mega Man X story would go on to work on Mega Man Zero, and another team would be put in charge of X6, and I know that's technically not what happened, and it's been, like, deconfirmed that there's a timeline split or anything like that, but X5 was intended to be the last X game, initially, and then it wasn't. But also, this game's plot has been bonkers anyway, so you know what? I'm done talking about it. Roll credits. How do I feel about X5? This is another X4 situation where there are good things going on in X5, but it's hard to unilaterally praise 
a singular aspect of X5, and the game is getting even more experimental in its structure in ways that open up some cool things, like the character customization through parts, but also come with flaws, like the fact that the entire part system is deliberately obfuscated, so you as a player don't understand what triggers you getting it and what triggers you reaching the levels to get it. And <sighs> The level design is overall solid, except for three of the stages that are absolute hot garbage. Most of the bosses are, again, really fun, or just they're the Yellow Devil again, and I'm really sick of that dude. Zero feels better to play until you get Spiral Pegasus's weapon. Rushing to prevent a bad ending and stuff sounds really good, except the fact that it can fail even if you do everything right. There's a certain poetic nature to that. There's an interesting literary aspect to that. But it feels like garbage in gameplay to invest everything into playing the entire game as Zero and then having the game go, actually, you don't get to play as Zero anymore. And the story is just, god damn, is it just absolutely everywhere. Like, I'm very good at buying into, like, bonkers plots, but even this one has, like, everything so poorly explained and everything happens so big for no reason that I could not suspend my disbelief for a moment. Could you just not tell us who it is that's apparently now assisting Sigma? Can we learn anything concrete about Dynamo? How did one statue blowing up infect the entire world with the Sigma virus, and why hadn't that been done before when we fought Sigma? In spite of all this complaining, I did actually have a fair amount of fun with X5. If I could play it without playing the garbage stages, I'd love it. I don't know, this is not X3 bad, but I'm putting it on the same tier in X4 of like, I don't love it the way that I would like to. I feel like there are things that I love stronger and enjoy more about this game than X4, but the pain points I can't ignore, and they're starting to sting a little bit sharper. That said, how about that music? Yeah, I know what you're all here for, and it's really good music tracks. I have once again picked three. The soundtrack in this game is very much similar to X4 in that it's still really, really good. I think there are less tracks in this game that are, like, super amazing, but it's still a really strong soundtrack. The first track I want to highlight is Dark Necrobat stage at the Observatorium. This stage comes with, like, some really moody guitar and, like, notes and tones being used in the background that gives it this really cool, like, almost somber RPG feeling. Like, it hasn't completely abandoned guitar and stuff, but it does create this mystical, like, foreboding air to it that's just really unique for the X-Series. Next up, I want to shout out the final stages theme. This stage just straight up yeets me back into like early YouTube medley tracks that literally I knew this song before I knew it was from this. But nostalgic value aside, in general, this one has a really distinctive, like, electronic sound to it that fits kind of this, like, I didn't even mention this, but the Zero stages always have, like, this, like, virtual space aesthetic to them that's really unique and interesting. That real cyber world melody and mixture just comes through in a really memorable track to me.
Finally, while I might have glossed over him during the episode itself, Dynamo's boss theme for the two times that you fight him during the game, this track's really good. It's just got this really strong, like, swing sort of feeling mixed into it, but then the guitar parts start to kick back in, and it's just really good. That wraps up our time with Mega Man X5, and I have made it through the queue, and I am sitting in Final Fantasy XIV, so if you'll excuse me, if you've enjoyed the episode, feel free to send me a line at garlisle at gmail.com. Feel free to stop by on Twitter at whatamipodcast4, using the number 4. Stop by waipf.podbean.com for the RSS feed or direct downloads of the episodes, or check your podcast provider of choice. Thank you for listening. I've been Garlisle. And just remember, I don't know. I don't have a just remember for this episode. I've got Final Fantasy XIV on the brain. See y'all later. Machinery is kind of on the flip. Is machinery... Oh, sh- 2002. Let me back in. Let me back in. Let me back in.